Good evening, everyone. What a privilege it is again to be in the house of the Lord and to be excited to learn from the Word. So let's pray together. Almighty Father God, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful privilege of learning from your Word, your Word that never returns empty. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive, that you speak to us through your word, that you teach us through your word. And Lord, help us to listen and to hear tonight. And Lord, I pray that you will speak through me, that you will hide me behind your cross, that your name your holy name will be glorified in this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> hey, how to pray in difficult times, Psalm 142. You're welcome to join me in the scripture. First of all, let's, let's just read through this. I'll give you a little bit of a moment to find it. Close to the middle, slightly, slightly to the left hand side of the middle. A mascal of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. My spirit faints within me. You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for, your, for you will deal bountifully with me. Who have you been in cave? I'm not talking about a little cave, a real cave, a big, big cave, a very dark cave. Not, not one of these caves like the Congo caves where it's well lit, clean, every creature has been removed. No, a wild cave, a real deep, dark cave. What's it like in a cave? Okay. It's kind of scary. It's not a happy place you would like to be, is it? It's not something that you would say you're 100% comfortable in and you can just live there, can you? No. No, definitely not. And what about if there's like 400 men with you? And let's see 
Where do I come with this 400 men story? Let's look at 1 Samuel 22, where we read about David when he was fleeing. Verse 1 and 2, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and sisters, or his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was a bitter soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And they were with him about 400 men. It's not exactly the group of people you would like to have with you in a situation like this, is it? Um, <clears throat> people looking for leadership, men in distress, people who were in debt, bitter souls. They needed provision, obviously. They needed food. They needed uh, water. And they were probably complaining about the situation as well. And if you remember the story, David was anointed as the king. And his brothers weren't too happy about that fact, were they? I'm sure they, they didn't have the best relationship. It wasn't like this. Because he was chosen. He was not even one of the lineup. He was not even considered as one to be chosen. But yes. So yes, David, anointed as a king, but he's not really in a palace, is he? And he's not eating the food of a king, is he? No, not really. And it wasn't just a short period of time. It was a little bit longer. And if we go and we read the psalm, we'll see why I said it was a little bit longer. And it started to feel like a prison to him at some stage. But in these difficult times, two good things happened. Now, what was this thing that happened? David wrote two psalms. Psalms 57 and 142. And it daunted on me when I prepared that these psalms were written up and protected through all these years in the Word of God. Why? Why? Why did God decide to keep these psalms in the Word? It's not just the Word. If you read the Bible, it's not just a lot of scriptures and words and books. No. It's there for a reason. So that we can benefit from it. So that we can learn from it. So we can apply it. So Psalm 142 teaches a little bit about how to, what to pray, how to pray when you feel trapped and alone with no escape from the dark cave and overwhelming trials in your life. Not a golden bullet. I'm not giving you a remedy here. I'm not giving you the recipe, absolute recipe, and now you can follow it. And no. no, this is the start. Now let's have a closer look at this psalm. You just put it up there. There's some words that are highlighted. You can see my voice, I cry, my voice, I plead, 
I call, my complaint, I tell my trouble, my spirit, my way. Why would this be? Is David being selfish here? Why is it all written in the first person pronoun? Must be a reason. And it continues throughout. There's a little break in, in the middle, but we'll get to that. But why would this be? Who wants to take a guess? There was no time for testimony before you can use the time. Possible. You probably wonder why I'm bringing coffee to the pulpit. <laughs> this teaches us that faith in God must be personal. I, it's me, not someone else. I. So, this little example here, some of you might smell a little bit of this fragrance of the coffee, but mm, you don't know how it tastes like, do you? No. No. You cannot know what recipe I used. You cannot know what experience? If you take coffee and you sip it and you hold it in your mouth, you experience the fragrance. There's a certain taste. There's pleasure. There's a temperature sensing as well. When you swallow it, there's an aftertaste. Okay? Similar to a personal relationship with God. Can't have it if you haven't tasted it. If you haven't taken that sip. Oh, and experienced it. If you haven't been in the presence of God, alone with God, spending time in His presence, listening to His Word, in deep prayer, you cannot, cannot know it. You cannot live someone else's experience. You will never get it. You might get the flavor, some flavor of it, if it's close enough to you. But that's all you're going to get. Never going to get that real experience until you've been there. David was there. We cannot depend on our parents' relationship with God, or our pastor, or our elders. Our brothers or sisters, you can't. David, being a young, young man, could not rely on his siblings or his father's relationship with God when he was facing the giants in his life. We saw, we know the history. When he wanted to go and fight Goliath, his brothers were fighting with him. What do you think you're doing? You can't fit in this clothes, you're too small. Do you think you're big enough to come and face this giant when all the soldiers can't even face him? I can't. He couldn't rely on anyone. He had to have endured this on his own. 
his own relationship with God. Now you can't be hide behind excuses. You can't be hide behind your youth. Or the fact that you're shy, or you're scared, or you're intimidated, or your, your circumstances in life is not right, or it's not the time now, or I'm still enjoying. No. You're going to miss it. Not God, you. See, God has you trapped in that cave at the moment where you are. In your situation, where you currently are, you are trapped there for a reason. Did David stay in that cave forever? No. He remained in the cave for as long as it was needed so that he could learn his lesson and he could go out. Okay, we're only supposed to stay in that trap, in that dark cave, until we learn our lesson. So we can be hard-headed and we can say, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to do it my way. You can do it, but you're going to remain in this cave a lot longer than is necessary. You must know God personally through that experiences and faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot have that if you haven't had experience. If you haven't allowed him to put you in those situations. Often we don't want to be. I'm scared, Lord. I don't want to be put out of my comfort zone. I don't want to put... No. God put me there so that I can learn, so that I can go forward. I can progress in my relationship. Then only we can know how to call upon him when we feel trapped and lonely and under attack. And there's obviously one thing before that. If you're not reborn, if you're not renewed by the Spirit of God, you can't even enter into this relationship yet. You have to start at the beginning. You have to go through that. Accept Him as your personal Savior, the grace that He gives to us. Then only, then only you can progress to the next step. Now let's look at this psalm. I'm not going to pamper on that. Let's look. Now the psalm is divided up in a couple of verses. So we first see there's a plead. Then we will see there's applied. And then we will see there's a portion. And then the last one, if we get to that, is the prospect. Okay, so I'm going to try and get through all this. Now, Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary on the old Bible, a little piece that relates to this. There is no cave so deep, so dark, but we may out of it send up our prayers and our souls in prayer to God. So no matter how trapped and alone we may feel, you can still cry out to God in prayer. This psalm is titled a mascal. Just go up to the first verse. Okay. It's not there. Okay, it's in the ending. <clears throat> so it's a mascal. From David. Now, what does a mascal mean? Now, in most of these psalms, 
you're not 100% sure what this exact title means, but the verb means to make wise or prudent, to have success or skill. So in other words, this psalm teaches us some important lessons on how to be wise or skillful in prayer, right? Okay, my first observation here is prayer should be heartfelt and honest, but always in submission to God and His sovereign will. That's also the example that Jesus set for us. Now we can't miss the intensity of David's prayer in verse 1 and 2. I cry out aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make plead for mercy with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. I've used some other translation, the ASB in some cases, just to, because the words made more sense to me there. Again, I cried out to the Lord, O Lord. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. There's a repetition in this, and it drives home David's anguish and despair. He was in deep water. He was really in it over his head. He was, he cried out. There was no other way. Saul and his soldiers was going to kill him. If they found him, he was dead. That's it, end of life. And to them it was an absolute reality. So these prayers came out of a very desperate, desperate situation. Now our normal daily prayers might not always sound like this because we don't have that same anguish and despair. But if we've been, if you've read godly men, praying men, books, you will know that how they relate to prayer and how there was different forms of prayer or different intensities to pray. And it's absolutely, have you heard, have you heard someone praying for, some, for a lost sinner's soul? And you know that person, that prayer was different. Because it was fiery, it was from the heart, it was with intensity. And really standing in front of God for that person. It's different. It's different to the lip service we sometimes do just to check box. David says in verse 2, I pour out my complaint before him. Now I've heard many people use this verse and other similar psalms to teach us to be honest in our prayers. We have to be honest, I agree. We should not be hypocrites. Shouldn't pretend that we've, oh God, yes God, everything is good, but my heart is not right and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing. No. After all, God knows our circumstances. He knows our thoughts. He knows our minds. He knows the word we spoke before we even speak it. So, why do you want to pretend about it? But these same people also encourage people sometimes to tell God off. And I'm even scared to say that. 
To tell God the way you like, you feel like. To tell Him exactly what you're experiencing. To lo- let Him know when you're angry at Him and cross with Him and upset. Well, well, I don't find any examples in the Word about that. I don't find anything in the Word that gives us that right. It's encouraging people to sin. That's what it's doing. Nothing else. Because you're rallying against the loving almighty God who created us. So who are we to tell the loving God, the almighty God, that we cross with Him and we're upset with Him? We should repent straight up. Right there. We have to free the world. We are free to be honest. Yes, Lord, I don't feel, I really feel hurt about this. I know my heart is not in the right place at the moment, Lord. It's me. And be submissive to His sovereign will. If you're angry with God, you need to go and confess it. Not tell God that you're angry with Him. No. Understand that you're sinful and that you're in the wrong at the moment and go and tell God that you're sorry about it and that your heart is not right. Until you've done that, don't even continue to pray for anything else. Not going to work. Let's put that a little bit closer. Let's bring it closer to home. Let's and say, your kid, your child, ramps off. And he tells you exactly what he thinks because he's upset with you. Or she. Tells you in your face what they feel about you. How cross they are with you. How disgusted they are with you. And the fact that you've now treated them badly in front of their friends. Really? Would you, would you be happy with that? If you say yes, you better start reading the Bible. Because you're wrong. We have no right. That would be sin. That child would be sinning against you as a parent. And when it comes to the sovereign God of the universe, who's always right, he's never wrong, he never wrongs anyone, he always disciplines us for our own good. If God had to for one moment give us what we, would, what we really deserve, What would happen? Straight in hell. Straight to hell. Not even a thought about it. Straight to hell. (coughs) So if we feel that we've been treated unfairly by God, before you bring your complaint to Him, please, please deal with your attitude. Please go to your room and just just kneel before God. Be honest, but always be in submission, showing reverence to Him as Lord and Master. He is the Creator. He created us. He's so merciful that He actually allows us to call Him Father, that we might talk to Him and pray to Him and serve Him and be called children of the living God. 
This is the God that we're serving. You know, when I was flying the other day, high up in the sky, just looking at the sun, looking at the moon, looking at the earth, and I thought, yeah, that's normal. Really? Is it normal? Yes. It's normal in God's will because he made it like that. But if it wasn't for God, that would not be in place. It would not rotate the way that it does. It would not always be in the place that it is. It's the almighty God that allows us to live in his creation, to serve him. That is the God we're talking about here. So the second observation is prayer's acknowledgement of our insufficiency and God's all-sufficiency. Okay? But we're a little bit proud. It's difficult for us to admit that we can't really do everything and we're not in control of our destiny and we can't. David admits, even though his spirit is overwhelmed within him, in verse 3, he says, there is no escape. He was brought very low. His enemies too strong for him. He feels like he's in prison. He wasn't saying, God, I've just got about, I've just about got this figured out. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I just need you to give me this little boost here, and then uh, I'll be gone. And I'll be on my way, and I'll be happy. <laughs> no, no, God didn't, David didn't say that. No. He realized immediately he was in need. He admitted his insufficiency. He realized that he needed God Almighty to step in. Now, one of the main reasons we do not always pray, as the Bible instructs us to pray, like in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray without ceasing. The reason we don't think about it, isn't it because we don't recognize our own insufficiency and we think we can actually do this? I'm on a roll. I can, I can still do this. Really? We proudly think so. But God graciously allows us to do it. He's always there. But then we learn, quickly enough, we learn that we cannot. And then we reach out and say, God, please. I can only depend on you. I can't do it. Third observation. Prayer is not to inform God, God of our situation. It's not there just to inform God, is it? It's there, also there, to prepare us to receive from God the things that we ask. Really? Am I going to prosperity stuff now? No. Really? No, it's here in the Bible. Let's look at it. God knows all things. Okay? Yes, we cannot bend God's, God's arm. We cannot change his plan for the world 
and for our lives and for everything else. But God tells us, He instructs us to pray, to pray for each other, to pray for circumstances, to pray for healing, and a lot of other things. So God allows us to pray for that. So in other words, He allows that to come into His plan as well. He allows that. So He knew David's path. Not only does He know our paths also, but He ordains our paths. Jesus pointed out in Matthew 6, verse 8, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Okay, so now the argument's going to come, so why pray? I just told you. You have to pray. The Bible says so. God said so. Jesus showed us the example. He prayed. So, who are we not to pray? So prayer is not to inform God about our situation. It's part... In part, it is to help us to recognize and verbalize our needs. Have you realized if you don't tell, if you don't talk and you don't speak out your needs, you often don't even realize you have the needs. You have to actually think, <coughs> apply the mind and realize that I actually have a need here because we're in such a race daily that we just want to continue and we just want to go through and we're just going to get through this day and the next meeting, we sometimes don't think about the situations we are in. Okay, so David twice states his cry out to su or supplication. What does it mean? What does it mean? Cry out or supplication. It means that he appeals to kindness, okay? and then to the Lord. And then he pours out his complaint and declares his trouble before him. Now once again, the Hebrew word here, before him, literally means face to his face, face to face. In God's presence, to God's face. So if we pray, Realize, we are in the presence of God. You're not just praying. You're not just praying in a prayer meeting. You're not just... No. What are you doing when you're praying? You're praying to God. Expect Him to be there. You're calling on His name. Are you just doing lip service? Or are you actually real about this? Expect God to be there because you called on His name. It's... it's it's what it is. So, it teaches us that prayer is not just running through a list of requests. But rather that prayer is coming into God's presence, communing with Him face to face. Having that experience, that super experience, that will change your life. And if you've tasted it once, you will always want the next opportunity. You will always sought after it. Because it's like that, that precious gift. If you've had it once, you will look after it. Okay, so secondly, 
Let's, let's have a look at David's, my plight. The enemy has trapped me and lonely with no care for my soul. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. Verse 7, he describes his situation as being in prison. Now when David says, look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me, he either means that there was no one who de to defend him militarily, or there was no one to defend him by presenting his case in court. That's, okay. When he says, no one cares for my soul, it was possible, it's possible that these 400 men were there with him. But they were also focused on their own troubles. We saw where they came from. It wasn't spiritually well people that could support David in this thing, no. They were captured in their own problems, their own cares. So they, they couldn't, some of them were in debt by David, so they couldn't really care if he died, right? Because yeah, then the debt is gone. So, he might not have been alone physically, but he felt alone spiritually and emotionally. Now, you don't have to be in these exact same circumstances to be trapped, to have these same feelings. Maybe you feel alone, trapped in this cave of guilt. Maybe you've done things that was wrong. Perhaps you fled from a situation and now you're ashamed. And your current situation where you are, people shouldn't learn about your past and you haven't been open. Maybe your guilt has in some way alienated you from God. You don't know who to talk to. You don't know where to turn. David had an idea about this. Remember, David, David went through a couple of things. He was, uh, he lived life. He made mistakes. He wasn't perfect in no way. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, you can read about it. It's all there. But maybe you feel trapped and alone because you profess to be a Christian. But you're enslaved to some life-dominating sin. Maybe you opened a door. Maybe you're ashamed. Maybe, maybe there's something that happened in your life, something that you allowed that, that takes that freedom away to share your witness with others. And Afrikaans, we have a good saying, and Owen always used to remind me of that. With nooit your getuienis verloorne. So if you were saved out of a situation where maybe alcohol, when you were saved and God helped you to come loose from all these things, alcohol, drugs, smokes, whatever the case might be in your situation. And you come into a situation at friends, family, and you've spoken to them in the past about God. And now in one moment of weakness, 
you said, yes, I'll drink a beer. You've lost it. You've lost the opportunity to ever talk to them again about alcohol. Because your life is not right. Same thing. So it's this, this. It might not be even sin. You didn't get drunk. But they will always hold that bottle before you and say, don't talk to me. Look at what you're doing. And you lost that opportunity. But you know what? You can get out of it. You can go to God. Yes, you cannot talk to them. But you can go talk to God about them. No one stops you from praying for them. And you can make right before God. Because He's merciful. Now my portion. The Lord is my refuge and my portion. Listen to David again. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give me, give heed to my cry, for I'm brought very low. I'm seeing something here. So David was hiding in a cave. But he, did he see his cave as his refuge? No. So easy in life that we run and we hide and we, we actually get some cover and we think, okay, this is my refuge. No, his refuge was in God. He didn't take, he didn't look at his position of, as future king. And really, surely there's some right in that. He was already anointed as the new king. So he would have had some rights by law. He could have approached the armies and Samuel could have gone with him. And then they would actually look differently at, at Saul. But yes, he didn't blame shift. He didn't go anything. He trusted on God. He went to God with his brother. Because the Lord was his portion. That's, that's what it's about. Now, another quotation from Jonathan Edwards in a sermon titled The Christian Program. Just want to take a little capture out of that. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. And the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. To be in God's presence for eternity, infinitely, do we understand what infinity is? Eternity? I don't know how to describe it. But someone used an example of this diamond, big, big diamond. And this little bird coming there every day 
and sharpen his beak on this diamond and fly away and come again next day and the next generation and the next generation every generation thereafter comes until this diamond is gone and one moment in eternity has passed one moment in eternity has passed when that diamond is finished that's the closest I can get to explaining that we can't comprehend that to go to heaven okay fathers and mothers husbands wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows but the enjoyment of God but the enjoyment of God is the substance these are but scattered beams but God is the Sun these are but streams but God is the fountain these are but drops but God is the ocean therefore it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven as it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and proper good the whole work of our lives to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life why should we labor for our seats or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness Okay, so we've seen the plight, we've seen the plea, we've seen my, my portion. Bait for us, the end isn't so. My prospect. My prospect. The Lord will deliver me so that I can give, may give thanks to him in the company of the righteous. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison. Some translations say, bring my soul out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So, even though David, thinking about God and his refuge and his portion, he now moves from a situation of despair into confident hope he knows that he's weak but God is stronger than his enemies he knows it he doesn't even blink at it he knows he's experienced it so by faith he looks ahead to the time when he will give thanks to God for rescuing surrounded by God's people so David's focus here is not Deliver me so that I will be happy again. So often that is implied, that is the implied focus or aim of our prayers. Take me out of my desperate situation, Lord, so that my little life can be perfect again. This is not David. It's the wrong motive for prayer as well. That is the reason why you're praying. No. 
not going to work. David wants to be delivered so that he, listen to the words, so that I may give thanks to your name. Some trans translations, some versions translated as praise your name. And once again, the Hebrew verb here means to confess or acknowledge your name. David wants to extol God's power and faithfulness and mercy in the company of saints. In other words, he wants God to answer his prayer so that he can glorify God. In Psalm 57, we see the same thing. David twice repeats, Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. This is always a good ground for praise. So if we've learned a little bit out of David's prayer, there's many other examples in the word. But I pray that God will help us to, to apply this in our minds and in our daily lives. Let's pray. Almighty Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for protecting us, for allowing us to listen to your word, Lord. The word that you have protected for us for over 2,000 years. That we might have it translated in our own language, Lord. That we can learn from it. That we can study it. That we can grow in our personal relationship with you. To have that I moments, my moments with you, Lord. That we can experience a closeness and I pray this for every person that listened to this sermon tonight Lord that you will grant them the privilege of being in your presence in your holy presence that they can experience this and I pray this in Jesus name Amen